God ministers to Joseph while at the same time accomplishing his sovereign will for the nations of Egypt and Israel. This morning, uh, Matt in his message talked about the fact that God is both sovereign and he didn't use the word personal, but I'm going to use the word personal tonight. He's involved in our lives. And, And that's one of the great wonders of the person of God. How he is in control of all things, including the minutia of our lives. And our lives are a tapestry of which God is doing more than just working in us, but working out his plan for the world. And we play an intricate part in that plan by God's sovereign grace. But tonight, as we look at the life of Joseph, what I want us to see is that that God has a purpose for all that comes into Joseph's life. God is building character into the life of Joseph. He's developing Joseph for the work that God has for him to do. And so, Joseph has to deal with overcoming certain temptations. The temptations that are common to man, money, sex, and power. All of those temptations were repeatedly thrown at Joseph. And he resists them all. He is building in his character. So as we look at this portion tonight, we notice that Joseph is forgotten by men, but not by God. Genesis 40.23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's where we left off the story last week. He had interpreted the dream of the cupbearer, that he was going to be back in Pharaoh's presence, and made a request that when that cupbearer would return to the presence of Pharaoh, that that cupbearer would remember Joseph to Pharaoh. That he would tell Pharaoh of the injustice that has been done to Joseph with the hope, of course, of his release. Genesis 41.1 Now it happened at the end of two full years. So two years have passed from the time in which he, Joseph, interprets the cupbearer's dream from the time in which the cupbearer is going to remember him. Genesis 41.9 Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. And we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came about that just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. A significant amount of time passed from the time that Joseph is tending his father's flock <coughs> excuse me, until he's brought before Pharaoh. In Genesis 37, verse 2, he's 17 years of age when he's attending his father's flock and then sold into bondage. Genesis 41, 46, Joseph is 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph, in that intervening time, is learning patience, persistence, 
righteousness. He's learning not to be pragmatic. In other words, just serving God for what he can get out of it. But he continues to serve God, whether it lands him in a pit or whether it lands him in prison or wherever his faithfulness leads. So he's not pragmatic. He is truly virtuous. And he doesn't see as the ultimate and primary purpose for his relationship with God a personal happiness. These were not jolly years for Joseph. He's afflicted. We'll look at that in just a few moments. He's miserable. But he still serves God. He doesn't say, God, you know, I'm not happy. And isn't that what you're all about? Making me happy? Isn't that your will for my life? That I be happy? There are so many people that think that that's God's intent for their life. To be happy. And I'm not happy. So what's wrong? Where's God? Why aren't I happy? But God is building character into the life of Joseph. And here is a very, very important lesson. And that is that we can be spiritual in a moment. In a moment, in a split second, you can move from being carnal to spiritual. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you have a new standing with God. All of a sudden your prayers are going to be heard and you are going to experience forgiveness of sins. You can be spiritual in a moment. But it takes years to become mature. It takes years to become mature. And we want to many times shortcut the process. We want to be mature overnight. By very definition, that can't happen. A two-year-old can't be mature. A four-year-old can't be mature. They can be spiritual, but they can't be mature. Mature requires experience. Maturity requires an ongoing relationship with God. So God is building maturity into Joseph's life. And we are to see in Joseph a supreme and important example. For we find that the life of Joseph is to be exemplary for us. A model for us. Not the abnormal, but the normal. Listen to the words of 1 Peter chapter 5, starting with verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Don't think that if you're suffering, that woe is me, and I have it worse than everybody else on the face of this earth. Why is this happening to me as though I am just experiencing something that is totally foreign to everybody else? The Word of God tells us there is no temptation taken you, 
but such is common to man. And so, we need to have a right perspective on what the Christian life actually looks like. And then verse 10 says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you've suffered for a little while, he, that is God, is going to confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And there's no shortcut to that. That is the normative Christian experience. Learning to deal with hardship. Learning to deal with adversity. Learning to deal with injustice. Learning to deal with people's hatred towards us. People's jealousy towards us. People's indifference towards us. Learning how to respond in a proper way. Because God's purpose for Joseph's life, ultimately, is to preserve life. The goal wasn't simply for Joseph to rise to prominence. So that God would reward Joseph and pat him on the back and say, See, now you have power like you wanted. Now you have wealth like you wanted. And so now he's achieved success. It wasn't just to promote Joseph. And it wasn't just to make sure that everybody got fed. But there was a a higher end, a higher goal, a higher purpose, that the feeding of all these people would result in the preservation of their life. God wanted these people to be spared. And so Joseph's character is extremely important in that. Because God's purpose is that Joseph would spare life. One of the remarkable things, when Joseph becomes empowered, when he rises to that place of being second in the command of Egypt, that the first thing he doesn't do is send out an edict and summon Potiphar before him. And get even with Potiphar for unjustly throwing him into prison. Or having... Potiphar's wife summarily executed for the deception, for the lie. He doesn't take the life of Potiphar. He doesn't take the life of Potiphar's wife. He doesn't reap his vengeance on his brothers and take their lives. Because God's purpose is that he would be a means of preserving life. And that's God's purpose for us. To reach a lost world. And that means we have to learn self-control. That means we have to learn forgiveness. That means we have to be willing to demonstrate a selflessness in order to be able to preserve the lives of others, to share the gospel with them, and to be used of God. So number two, God intervenes to bring Joseph to a place of prominence. God is sovereignly at work in the circumstances that ultimately bring Joseph into the presence of Pharaoh. It was not Joseph's plotting or scheming that brought about these results. First, it was God's grace to Joseph that the cupbearer had not immediately remembered what Joseph had done. Verse 14. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. But it wasn't time for Joseph to be released. In the sovereign purpose of God, 
that moment had not yet arrived. It says in 1 Peter that he will exalt you in the proper time. For most of us, the proper time is now. Now is when I want to be out. Now is when I want to be exalted. Now is the time in which I want all this adversity behind me. Now! But now isn't always God's time. And it actually turns out to be to Joseph's benefit that he's still in this prison for two years. Secondly, it was, caught, it was God who caused Pharaoh to have the dream. This would not be orchestrated by any human agent. Verse 40, uh, chapter 41, verse 1. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Behold, he was standing by the Nile. Again, nothing that Joseph was able to bring about. Nothing that any scheming or conniving could achieve. But God caused Pharaoh to have this dream. God was setting <coughs> the wheels in motion. B. Joseph again resists temptation and remains faithful to God. Genesis 41, 14, and 15. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Here was the chance that Joseph was waiting for so long. He was finally in the presence of the king. He now has the king over a barrel. But Joseph resists the temptation of bartering with the king. If you let me out of prison, I will interpret the dream. Uh, he could have used this situation to try to achieve his freedom. Joseph resists the temptation. Uh, Joseph resists the temptation of promoting self rather than promoting God. Genesis 41, verse 16. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. When Pharaoh says, I hear that you can interpret dreams, he says, No, no, I can't. It's God who can. It's God who can. A. Oh, and then six, Joseph resists promoting himself after he promotes God. Verse 33. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. He doesn't say, oh, and by the way, God told me to tell you to make me overseer of the land. God never said that. And Joseph never says that. God said that he was to place someone over the land. And that's exactly what he communicates. He doesn't misrepresent the truth. Genesis 41:34. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in char charge of the land. And let him exact the fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. And let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the Lord may not perish, the land may not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom 
is a divine spirit. But Joseph doesn't put forth his name for the job. Joseph does not speak of his own spiritual qualifications for the job. He doesn't in any way seek to promote himself. He leaves that in the hands of God. And Joseph is wonderfully promoted in Egypt. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command of my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have said over you all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he said, and he had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. And he said over him, All the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt gave him full carte blanche authority. There is a progression in the life of Joseph. The story begins with Joseph being sent out by his father to look at the work that his brothers are doing. And he comes back and has to give a bad report. They're not serving you the way that they should. And Joseph, from that time on, whether it be in the house of Potiphar or whether it be in the jail, in both instances it says that he's raised to a position of authority where Potiphar or the jailer didn't even know what Joseph was doing. Didn't worry about it. They handed it over to him because they knew he was going to be reliable. They knew he was going to be faithful. They knew that he was going to be honest. They knew that he was going to be a person of integrity. They knew that even though no one else would know what was going on, he would do the right thing. And that prepares him for this place of Egypt, of this incredible authority that he's going to receive. And he does the right thing with that authority. Not taking vengeance, as I say. And then thirdly, Joseph gives lasting testimony and praise to God for all that God has done for him. Genesis 41, 50 to 52. Now, before the year of famine came, well, let me go back up to verse 45 to give you the context. Genesis 41, 45. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphonath Paniah, and he gave him Ashenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land. Then Genesis 41:50. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom Ashenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. Verse 52, and he named the second Ephraim. For he said, God has made me faithful in the land of, uh, fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph is not like the ungrateful cupbearer who, when things turn out right, forgets the kindness done to him. 
He gives praise and honor and glory to God. Joseph recognizes the source of the kindness done to him is not <coughs> is not Pharaoh, but is God. He doesn't say, oh, thank you for this uh, incredible uh, stroke of luck that I was able to be brought into Pharaoh's place and look what Pharaoh did for me. But rather, he attributes this to the sovereign will and act of God and God's goodness. Genesis 41:55. God has made me forget all my trouble. God has made me fruitful in the land of affliction. It is because of God. It's because of God. Joseph recognizes the great blessing that God has brought into Joseph's life that are Joseph's children. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's household. Here is one of the few glimpses in the narrative of Joseph's life that reveals the depth of heartache that resulted from his brother's treachery. The word for trouble is translated as toil in the King James. This is a word with very broad meaning include the ideas of physical labor, suffering, vexation, trouble, hardship. Joseph was not whistling while he worked. Joseph wasn't going to bed at night and saying, wow, is this a great day. I just loved being accused falsely. It It was tremendous being able to be a slave for this man and make him rich while I'm getting nothing out of it. Wow, <laughs> I got thrown into prison today. Yippee! Well, man, I hope it gets better than that. You know, it isn't that, that Joseph was impervious to all of this. Not at all. And number two, God caused Joseph to forget this trouble that comes at the hands of his father's household. The word forget here does not have the connotation of to pass out of mind. Verse 51. God has made me forget all my trouble. That doesn't mean that he is unaware of the trouble. You know, I forget things all the time, which means I just doesn't come to mind. I just don't remember it. I don't remember conversations. I don't remember a lot of things. I don't remember what I read. It's, it's, a, it's a problem. That's not the way this word is being used. The word forget here does not have the connotation of pass out of mind. Rather, it means to leave behind, abandon, or neglect. Joseph was able to put this all behind him now. It's interesting that it puts it in the present tense. Thirteen years later. Now he's, he's finally able to put this behind him. I don't think I'm reading too much into that statement at all to say if he was elevated five years earlier, six years earlier, ten years earlier, that he would not have taken vengeance. That he would not have sought to get even. It took Joseph a long time to get over what had happened to him. Now all the time he's remaining faithful. He doesn't allow it to interfere with his work or his sense of justice. But he's still troubled by it, according to the text. Three, God enabled Joseph to put these things behind him by blessing him with a loving family of his own. 
Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. I believe it is noteworthy that Joseph appears to have only Potiphar as his wife. Joseph had learned something about his own dysfunctional family. If you remember, uh, his father had numerous wives, a lot of children, and it brought a lot of tension and heartache. But God enabled Joseph to see himself as richly blessed. Genesis 41:52. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Fruitful. The word here does not mean prosperous. The word means to bear children. He was fruitful because he had children. Thus Joseph sees his greatest blessing not in being prominent, rich, or successful, or a leader over a great nation. He sees his greatest blessing as being a father. The word affliction has the connotation of misery, depression, to be oppressed in spirit. Verse 52 at the top of the page, and he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. In the land of my disparity. In the land of my misery. In the land of my depression. We don't usually think of Joseph as miserable or depressed, afflicted. But he was. But he was. But God removed that spirit from him. And he did so with providing him these children. See, Joseph had a very small family by standards of that day. Nevertheless, he saw himself as richly blessed. Joseph had two sons. The patriarchs. Most of them had many sons. And daughters. Joseph didn't have any daughters. And he had two sons. And he said, I've been fruitful with two sons. That just goes against the culture. And it certainly goes against his prominent position. For it was prominent for people that were placed in position to execute that position in ways in which they would further their prominence by furthering their family. And so you have the incredible example of Solomon, who has 700 wives and 300 concubines. Excuse me, 300... 300 wives and 700 concubines. Now think about that. Joseph is second in the land. And he doesn't even take one additional wife. And it's obvious that she stops bearing. I don't think we're, we're to expect from this that they had no more sexual relations. They had two children. And she became barren. And he doesn't go out to find another wife so that he can have more children. But he says, I am richly blessed. D, Joseph sees his children as a great blessing of God and he wants his children and all the world to know it. So Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. And the word Manasseh means forgetting. 
forgetting. So God caused him to forget his family. Meaning that he wasn't going to bring vengeance against his family. And Ephraim means fruitful. And so he has two children, forgetting and fruitful. There is an irony in this story, as there is in so much of the Word of God. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, Joseph would have been the least in the tribes of Israel. You realize all of his brothers, all of his brothers have more children than he does. When you think of prosperity, when you, when you think of wealth, when you think of legacy, which was huge in those days, what comparison could there be between him and his brothers? All with more descendants. All look like they're prospering. He's got two, but he says, well, I'm fruitful and I'm blessed and I'm praised of God. Fast forward. Generations come. Generations go. And they are eventually out of the land of Egypt. And they're going to the promised land. And they're going to receive an inheritance. And God determines that the Levites are going to have himself as an inheritance. So they're not going to get any land. So what happens to the land promises that go to the twelve tribes of Israel? Answer, Joseph's descendants, Manasseh and Ephraim, are each now going to be considered a tribe. And they get an inheritance equal with the brothers. His family is the only tribe of Israel that is doubly blessed. And if you start doing the calculations, you realize that over time, his two sons and their offspring produces more than all the other tribes of Israel. Who would have thought it? Who would have expected it? The life of Joseph is a reminder to us all that we can't project the future. We can't assume what God is going to do. And so many times we plot, we scheme, that seems evil. So let's say we work hard, we are industrious, we sacrifice in order to achieve a certain end. And think that that's the way to success. Rather than being obedient to God. Following His commands. Being a person of virtue. And so constantly, what seems as though it doesn't pay off. In the end, it pays off in ways that were unimaginable to Joseph at the time. But having said that, 
You see, what is remarkable is, but that isn't the motivation. It wasn't so that this is going to pay off. The motivation was that I'm going to be bringing honor and glory to God and I am going to use my life to be a benefit to others, preserving life and achieving God's purpose in God's end. But the point is, a life like that may look many times like it's unrewarded, unfruitful, unprosperous. But I tell you, it pays dividends. If not in this life, in the life to come. For our works do follow us. God building character in the life of Joseph because he did not shortcut his suffering. I don't know what you're going through tonight, but I really encourage you to hang in there. Be faithful. Do the right thing. Maybe at work you're receiving some real injustice. Maybe you see people promoted with less experience, less knowledge, less dedication, and you're passed over. Maybe in your home life, you feel like you're being taken advantage of by your spouse, by your children, by others. Maybe you feel tonight as though people are apathetic to you, indifferent towards your suffering. Why don't they get it? Why don't they see what I'm going through? Don't shortcut the process. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't say, if I don't do something, nothing's going to get done. Resist the temptation to take charge of your own life and make things work out. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Hang in there to the glory of God and the accomplishment of His purpose. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your great grace and goodness to us. And uh, Lord, there's a mystery many times to what you are doing in our lives, but I pray that we would trust you in it all, that we would be trusting in your person, in your character, knowing that you are a God of justice, a God of righteousness, a God of holiness, a God of wisdom, a God of might, a God of power. Lord, may we see that your arm is strong and that the evil one cannot overcome you. And our enemies cannot overcome you. So what is happening in our lives really is according to your will. It was your will for Joseph to be in prison. It was your will for Joseph to be in bondage. He accepted that will. And he continued to praise and to serve you. And to be a person of virtue. And not use his experiences as a cloak for unrighteousness or unholiness. And most importantly, he did not seek vengeance upon the wrongdoers. And as a result, he preserved many people alive. Lord, may you use our lives to be an influence upon our children, upon our grandchildren, our neighbors, our fellow workers. Oh Lord, may, may we see
the importance of living righteous and holy lives, not for our happiness, not for our promotion, but for the betterment and the salvation of others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.